Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Who's your favourite Sonic character? Yeah. I mean, I always like Knuckles. Ooh. I always like Knuckles. I'm big Knuckles Because he's basically Sonic Wolverine, right? I never thought of it that way. I, I like him because he's idiot Sonic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's a bit sharper now. I, it was like, he was big dumb guy in Sonic Boom, yeah. which lo- is low-key the most overlooked well, Sonic is, is thing ever. Isn't himbo in the TV Sonic Definitely. Boom? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the TV show is genuinely awesome, though. Like, they absolutely nailed the characterizations and everything. And this is the intro to the podcast. I should say, welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tailford, joined by Cy White. Hello. And joined by Ewan Patterson. I did not know that Sonic opinions that I would share would be taken down and shared with the public. I even... don't feel comfortable with that. That's fine. I can delete the intro to this podcast if you so wish we will listen back to the legal tape and go from there but i feel like if you whisper sonic there's an army of people including myself ready to dive in and talk about the nuances the law of sonic the hedgehog yeah many layers you you scare me yeah as well we should um but still speaking of being scared 2023 is coming to a close and we thought why not do a wrap-up style podcast where we've each got three talking points that we're going to bring up it could be questions it could be statements there could be things to touch on from the year overall the year in gaming um i'll open because i think um, and we're going to go around the room. We've each got three things to get to. Um, my first thing was the continuation of very, very small games taking off. The idea that graphics just don't matter anymore, um, which is something that I've been saying for a while. I feel like production budgets get the, the money gets spent in the wrong place. And I feel like this year, I don't know if either of you have seen Lethal Company and how much that yeah. game's blown up. <laughs> yes. um, I feel like that continued the trend that the likes of Four Guys and Among Us um, did, where it's like a game that is made for ostensibly a shoestring budget, you can talk about the reality of, you know, they're in early access and uh, they get patched over time to get to what would be a console quality level or whatever. But I feel like up against um, the, I mean, we're probably going to talk about layoffs, uh, you know, overall going forward. But the amount of layoffs that there have been this year, the amount of projects that didn't land, the sales that didn't come through, um, projects like uh, the Lamplighters League that, like, the studio knew just before launch that it, was, it wasn't it was even going to work. They had to shut down. I really wanted to play that game and it's an Xbox thing, so I can't play it. Yeah, it's, it's actually, like, really solid. Like, it's on, yeah, it's on Game Pass. Like, if you want to go check it out while you can, you can. Um, but still, I feel like overall we're approaching the glass, uh, potentially um, approaching the glass ceiling on uh game development production, like in terms of where that budget goes. Um, and I just keep seeing, it's probably just algorithmic because I'm always talking about this and I'm looking at posts, I'm liking posts on social media that reflect this, but I keep seeing things where it's like, you know, I'd rather have gameplay variety than uh, accurate skin textures or accurate um, pores in the skin or like the eyes, d- people's dilate when there's light. I just, I never care about any of that stuff. I'm curious where either of you are um, and whether like you think the likes of Lethal Company point to the, a reality where you could have a bigger gameplay variety and spend the money on that instead 
I don't know. I'd like to think so, but it does Agree feel with like, me, Si. Okay, yes. <laughs> Good. Um, <laughs> like, it is nice that this has become kind of a trend there every few years, like a little game that nobody expects mm. really blows up. And it's they tend to be passion project things, like you say, mm-hmm. that one or two people have made, like Among Us, like Lethal Company, mm-hmm. I expect. Um, and it is just all about the fun. I play this with my friends because it's fun, and that's just, it has, it's no more complicated than that. That's <laughs> as, as simple as it gets to be. And it's always nice, isn't it? I don't know if that would i don't know if it's going to be a trend of them happening more mm-hmm. but i like that we do have those like experiences of like didn't expect that coming and it's the most unexpected unassuming thing yeah that suddenly everyone's talking about i've not played lethal company yet but i need to get in on it because no thing. one will sh- you know everyone's talking about it I, okay well no i've got, I've got like, a, a gaming pc i've got a mac which is just like if you say if, the word game around it it'll explode like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's not gonna get there would like you could maybe maybe i don't know i remember trying to get in on the the mac gaming scene when i got my laptop like a few years ago and i tried to run brutal legend and that way it ran it in like three <laughs> frames a second it just would not handle those it. tasty three frames i know that those three frames, were good them. Three frames. Oh, they were rendered really well. Like if you took a screenshot, it looked gorgeous, but it couldn't run very smoothly. Um, you and thoughts on production level? Yeah, I mean, I think I would agree with you that this has been the year that everyone has kind of woken up and then looked at like, okay, this is yeah. the cost of video game development. This is mm. how long it's taking for games to get made. There was that really good Jason Schreier report earlier in the year where he mentioned that, you know, we're already getting developers who are starting games right now that are going to be on the next generation of consoles, you know, looking like seven, eight years ahead on a project mm. that you are starting, which was simply never the case back in the day mm-hmm. um it is interesting i think there is a definitely a conversation that needs to be had there about like you know if we're going to start embarking a project right now can we be certain that in seven or eight years time it's still going to be relevant yeah mm-hmm. it's something Absolutely. like suicide squad kill the justice league mm-hmm. which feels very much of the you know Fortnite mold kind of like leaning into live service elements even if it is a live service game mm-hmm. um and that kind of looking like it's going to land with a, like a bit of a wet fart next year <laughs> like that's kind of one thing that that has definitely been apparent to me mm-hmm. um I think I would say is that I definitely am here for that level of arty farty technical fidelity and detail when right. it makes sense. Like Red Dead Redemption 2, I kind of think the horse ball shrinkage adds to that game's immersion. <laughs> Not that I would have ever noticed it if no one had pointed Hashtag it out to ball me. Shrinkage, um, but I think that that is an example of where, okay, if you're, if you're leading to an immersive level of quality, you want to make your game kind of pseudo-realistic mm. and, you know, really kind of like cinematic that I guess it makes sense there. Although I do agree with you, we need more experiences like Lethal Company where we're looking at, you know, putting, not that gameplay isn't put first with these other games, but sort of looking at it and going, when does it make sense? When is it appropriate? I think the reason why Lethal Weapon, Among Us, I forget there was another example that you may have given as well. Yeah, Fall Guys. I think the reason why those games are so successful is because they hinge on um, developing little meta-narratives for players when they're in multiplayer. Like the reason yeah. why Lethal um, Lethal Company, I want to say Lethal Weapon for a second then. You that wish. Movie. Um, the reason why those games are taken off is because you have so many shareable moments where you can rely oh, on like very streamer friendly. chat. Space for you to find what you want to yeah, do. Yeah, lots of like inherent right. little mini quality. Mm. And again, I think I'll fly the flag for um, VoIP. I, I love like um, just prox chat in games. I've yes. gone on about it yeah. so many times. Yeah. How Hell at Loose is hilarious because I'll be a medic and I'll be reviving someone and I'll hear someone screaming in the distance going, medic, I don't want to die. And I go over and then they get turned into goo by a German grenade and I'm yeah. covered in blood. And I'm like, ugh. It's really funny in context. It sounds quite disturbing out of context, <laughs> but it's also the same reason why Lethal Company looks so much fun. It's because you can literally be in a hallway and you can be like, look at a, a big scary monster and go, nope. And someone will hear you go, nope. 
like in the distance, right. and then they'll come over and investigate you. So they're like, nope, 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 yeah. turn around, turn around, turn around. Because that was like the, that. What was the name? Uh, there's another one. I'm going to forget the name of it, but there's the there was a ghost hunting game. Phasmophobia. Yes. I was literally mm. just about to say right. big phasmophobia yeah. vibes with that. That's a great yeah. example of like VoIP stuff. Because that, like, yeah, like you have and to. And kind of also weirdly, kind of an ugly game, but fun. Just yes. fun. Like, and it's so. like, <laughs> it is, it's, it's, it's obviously it's worthwhile saying that the likes of Red Dead Redemption 2 probably wouldn't have worked to the degree that it did if it looked more <laughs> like, you know, if it had a reduced fidelity or whatever. It does. It depends on committing to a certain vision. I'm not saying that you just get rid of good graphics altogether. I think that, <laughs> you know, like GTA 6 looks absolutely gorgeous and that's part of why it looks brilliant or why it comes across so well. Um, but at the same time, if you had a rock, I've said this loads, but if you had the likes of a rock star, a naughty dog or a certain wing, like the Ubi art program that they had back in 2014 and 15 um, and 16, I love the idea of a bigger team going like, we're actually going to take a, just a handful of devs, um, like maybe like one of the art directors while we're waiting on some of the portion coming together, um, which is what happened with the Last of Us remake, um, Last of Us Part 1 remake. It was like, we needed something to do uh, while the rest of the team planned, assumedly Last of Us 3. Um, if Rockstar, if they put their stamp on, we've done a smaller game. I think that's fascinating. And I want to see what ideas they come up with when it's in a smaller time frame. I completely agree. The interesting question that I keep coming back to now, and it's something I keep talking to my cousin about when I play games with him, is mm. that like the idea of maybe, were we happy with the level of graphical fidelity that was there like six, seven, eight years ago? This was ago? a tweet that was doing the rounds a couple of days do, ago. Yeah. Would we, when we're looking at like, realistic-esque looking games. Mm -hmm. Were we fine in the place that we were at that point? And would that mean, you know, we get more games as a result? Mm. Or are we still wanting to push forward? Because again, like to mention Mad Max again, I've been going through Mad Max mm -hmm. the first time that game came out in 2015. Um, it's not the best looking game of 2015. There were better looking games at the mm. time. Um, and I would say that, you know, looking at it, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I do kind of miss performance mode. I do kind of miss right. the higher frame rates. I do kind of miss some of these, you know, new lighting advancements that we've made. So it's a, it, it's a tricky conversation, but I definitely think there is a broader conversation and I don't know if the solution is there yet on like the protracted length of video game development and mm. whether our, our constant strive for, because if we don't do that, then the entire house of cards comes collapsing down. We don't have a need for new consoles. We don't have a need for like, you well, know, better like software to actually like make better graphics and stuff. So there's oh, all sorts of stuff going on with there. I think you can put all that all that horsepower into something other than aesthetics. But at the same yes. time, you could have the likes of Hi-Fi Rush. You could have all these more individual looking games. Yes, absolutely. Um, the interesting thing with Mad Max, and it's not going to work for lots of older games, but Mad Max in particular, if you play it on Series X, has all the auto upgrade stuff and they added it to HDR it runs it up to 120 frames a second like they did do all the upres stuff um, so in that case it's like if you want to go back to an older game like the console kind of does the upres mm. part for you without the developer needing to re-render those facial models and things like that but that is interesting of like because I keep seeing people share um, pictures from like Silent Hill 3 um, of the face models as they were in yeah. Silent Hill yeah. um, and say like oh this totally worked back in the day and the idea that our imaginations filled in the specific lip movements or whatever the the, the level of fidelity that something like a Naughty Dog production would have now. Um, our minds kind of just w made that work when we played all the games anyway, to some degree, unless the facial animation was notably bad. Um, and that's kind of like a conversation of like, how lifelike does it need to be? How much were those original games trying to be lifelike? And that was just as much as they could do. Um, or does the rendering tech, the horsepower, everything else go into coming up with some sort of genre or gameplay mechanic or rendering approach that we just couldn't do before? Um, I remember at the start of the generation, there was all this stuff about the SSD tech about how that, that would change level layouts and everything because you wouldn't have to have a, a corridor between two big areas anymore. You have to squeeze through. Yeah, no more <laughs> squeeze throughs. And like, thankfully, like this year, hardly any squeeze throughs. I'm glad they're going away. Um, but I feel like overall, we've not really seen that push for like, this is what technology can do on a completely gameplay level. Yeah. Um, Cocoon's a really good example. It's more of like an in, in the indie space. But in that game, you are like, 
um, squeezing entire biomes and you sort of push them into like marbles essentially and then hold them and then you blow them back out again and step back inside them. Awesome. And it's like a really cool visual effect. Um, and it's like Viewfinder has that whole thing where you take a photo and then it becomes 3D. And I'm like, they're really sick rendering ideas that like pure aesthetic improvements wouldn't even be thinking about because we need to make it shinier. To be fair, Spider-Man 2 does have a good one. with the, At the beginning, yeah. Well, I was well, more thinking the fast travel when you were looking mm, down on the map mm, and you're like, I want to fast travel here. The uh, way it zooms into the map and you're suddenly... That's a good example of SSD being done. And why you need a new console used. for it, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's mm -hmm. an example of like, this is what the generation is for, but we're halfway through the generation. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, but that's, that's more indicative of what I want to see because I right. think as soon as people saw that fast travel thing, it was like, oh, okay, this couldn't yeah. be done on a PS4, cool. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. As opposed to just it looks a bit shinier kind of thing. I'm going to go with a a negative one and you've mentioned it off the top really, which is uh, layoffs yeah. we have to talk about the layoffs yep. uh, it's the most when you take away the actual games themselves from the gaming industry mm -hmm. it's the story of the year the layoffs by far um, and it's just been almost non-stop like every time you think okay that that must be it we literally got some Two days ago, has the time calling three days down, ago? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but say the time split is team are done, embracer of, and I think they might be, you know, taking the gold trophy for layoffs this year. They've oh God! Just yeah. realise that maybe we shouldn't. We should have bought, bought everything. everything. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and not anything. A, a deal that wasn't even in place yet. It was just, the yeah. whole embracer story. Like, this is a whole other thing where mm -hmm. it was like, who are these guys? They come out of nowhere. They bought loads of people. Thing they don't know what clearly. Do they yeah. know what they're doing? Clearly no, because they've spent the entire year just getting rid of everything. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's terrible. And we shouldn't be forgotten in a year of good games that behind these good games are hardworking people. And even it, it's starting to feel like there is no such thing as job security. Like anybody could mm -hmm. be up for it. It must be very, very scary. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a shame that there isn't more protections in place. And more than that, just more people in the industry talking about it. And holding people to it, like businesses to a certain standard, like the game awards. I know everyone's pointed it out, but there's no mention of it there. No. And it felt kind of icky. I think like, one of the biggest failings of the game awards, because um, this year's one was was very negatively received and rightly so. Mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest failings of that whole show could have been celebrating the people who put their time into making those games. Like yeah. the, um, I forget the name of the website that's been tracking it the whole time, but I know the number is now over ten thousand. I think it might be as simple as videogamelayoffs.com right. or something like that. But yeah, and it's like yeah, the overall number of people that have lost their jobs is over ten thousand now, and it was six thousand back in October. Um, it feels like October and November were the two specific months where it was every single day. Um, mm. where it was you there was another story about more layoffs and more layoffs and it's always just the the inhumane way it's handled where someone gets an email on the morning or they, they they read about it on the news or something like they're not even being told that much ahead of time the only reason that the free radical one came out ahead of time um was specifically because of uk law like um, in the uk you have to give people a month's notice right um, so sure. that that happened a bit mm. more in advance but even then the example there sucks because it's like two weeks before christmas yo totally yeah. so, which yeah. is terrible you shouldn't do that literally mm -hmm. like High tier Ebenezer Scrooge, but sure. yeah. Scrooge didn't lay off his no. employees before no. Christmas. It's just um, the thing. I think the thing that I'll be fascinated by, and I need people with way more access than me or whatever to to dive into the reality of how we got here. Like a lot of the stuff I was watching, um, play, watch, listen, which is Lana Pearson, uh, Mike Bithell, and um, Austin Wintery talking about it and um, the podcast. And um, obviously, from uh, Mike Bithell's point of view, he's like an indie dev. He was talking about the reality of just how many uh, land grabs were made across the pandemic, where it's yes. like. Well, Everyone's at home. We've got all this time to play. Mm -hmm. And obviously the amount of spend and spending went up across the industry. So a lot of publishers then hired because of that, not really acknowledging 
what the following years were going to be. And uh, this is ostensibly the reality of that, that it just wasn't really planned out past that idea of let's capitalize on the amount of people at home. Um, and you can literally put a number on it. It seems like that that overspend was 10,000 people big. But the ridiculousness of this all is that this is the most profitable like entertainment medium Mm-hmm. On the globe, yep. and a lot of the not a lot of the studios where these layoffs are happening, they've recorded like record profits. Yes, yeah. also um, the, the free radical one, the the CEO guy, yeah. his wage went up or something. Or oh, it's, oh, it's stayed consistent. It's of just it like it's it's to use like it feels like the bankers bonuses thing from years ago. It's an, it's it feels like a similar level of greed. And we're talking mm. about like gaming, the sustainability of game development, and like long dev cycles and stuff. And I totally understand those as concerns, but I think at the same time, the industry is still profitable. Yeah, yeah. and it should be able to support like these people. It, it, it's it's kind of mad to me, like 10,000 people in one year, that is a hefty chunk. Uh-huh. That is a really staggering chunk, especially given how, yeah, I, I don't know, like it is, it is staggering to me. No, I was just going to throw in that it was it was something like um, 4% or 10% of the overall amount of people working on games will let go of this year. It was, it was a pretty me. chunky number. Um, but yeah, just horrific. I mean, like, and also like, you know, this also it spring it springboards off the ongoing conversation around crunch and general approach. Mm-hmm. How do we even make these games in the first place? Um, and the idea of the, the amount of different developers who cycle through staff, um, and then they need to be trained, and then that takes so much time. Um, and just that le- that idea that. Um, you know, it's something that various developers joke about. That like nobody knows how to make a game. Like it'll come together at the end. There are different ways, different game engines, and everything else. Um, and I remember back when it was when Halo Two was being made. But Bungie referred to it as leaping out of a plane with um, a needle and thread and stitching the parachute on the way down. And you'll either get it or you'll hit the ground. And it seems like that's it's still the same. Like twenty years later, um, with this many. Uh, people being attached to it now. But yeah, just a huge shame. I think that um, a lot more could have been done at the Game Awards to shout that stuff out. Um, and uh, it is just a shame. But like, yeah, hopefully that those people can still be proud of the games that they put out. But it's massively sucks the sheer amount of people that um, sadly lost their jobs this year. You and your talking point, please. Um, I'll skew in a little bit more of a positive direction right now. Not that the, the, the sad stuff isn't worth highlighting because it absolutely no. is. But no, I sure. think for me, this year was a pleasant, a year of pleasant gaming surprises. Nice. I kind of thought this was going to be a quiet gaming year for me. Um, the games that I were looking forward to, I kind of like were fatigued on the wider franchise implications. Mm. So going in a few years back, if you told me that I'd be getting a new Star Wars game and a new Spider-Man game in a set amount of year, I'd been like, I'm so there, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we live in a current time where Star Wars is being cheapened by the Disney machine and Marvel is kind of, again, I'm really, I've spent so many years with superheroes in my entire life. I'm kind of on the edge of like, I I can put them in my peripheral vision or whatever. Um, And also like licensed games and stuff. But yeah, so Jedi Survivor completely blew me away. I was not expecting that game to be as good as it was. I'd liked Fallen Order, but I didn't love it. And then this came around and pretty much addressed every single concern I had with that game, mm-hmm. bar some technical quandaries, which I know Scott you mentioned Thankfully quite regularly. And, and I did have a hilarious one with um, with the old um, dirge stand-in where he, the, the, he's the whole death thing, and he just started buzzing around the screen. <laughs> it was really, really bad. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's been a year of pleasant gaming surprises for me. If twenty twenty. One and 2022 were years of like me falling back in love with games and trying new experiences like Hades and like Elden Ring. Then 2023 has been kind of like a pleasant casual year of gaming. Nice. Where, like I got to experience some new things that I hadn't really gotten involved in the hype machine for. Mm. And that goes to Spider-Man 2 as well. Mm. I was always looking forward to that, but never like a massive thing. And I came away from 
though this experience really, really pleasantly surprised. And again, Robocop as well. I was expecting a Robocop game to completely miss the point of Verhoeven's text <laughs> yeah. and to just be, a, you know, instead of looking at this, like, you know, great look at, like, fascism and, like, police states and, you know, corporate Reaganomics and everything and the mm. dehumanization, how capitalism destroys us all. Um, I didn't think that was going to really be conveyed in a Robocop game. It would just be, ha, shooting things is fun. It is basically shooting things is fun. Yes. However, the story and the tone and everything... Totally gets the Verhoeven satire, so I really enjoyed that too. And We've got to talk about Robocop just a little bit. Yeah, so yeah, no, a year of pleasant gaming experience surprises in and amongst all the awful industry stuff. I think, yeah, because in like a wider talking point, there's an assumption, like especially because of how much Disney have just strangled the life out of everything. It feels like if you're approaching something that has a, a brand or a, like a brand Bible behind it or whatever, it feels like that's super restrictive. Like it feels like um, a lot of the Star Wars TV shows felt very safe. Other than Andor, that felt like the only one that kind of had a real identity to it. Gilroy. Yeah, yeah. And I actually, of Michael Keaton. Michael, Ke- Michael Clayton. <laughs> Every single time with Michael Clayton. I was telling people to watch Michael Clayton Michael Clayton and let you and know on social media. Watch Michael Clayton. Yeah, yeah. Don't know what it is, but um, that the, the whole um, approach to that idea of trying to make a franchise game um, made me think going into, especially Star Wars Jedi Survivor, that it would be super, super safe um, and it would just be quite boring and rote and whatever. And it could not be further from the truth. It did remind me that it's you can actually make brilliant games within those frameworks. Um, and Robocop in particular, I absolutely love. Like <laughs> things like such a, like you said, it's, if you pie chart it, it's like seventy percent shooting dudes' heads off, but then you've got 30% of like you've got to do therapy sessions after each mission you're trying to like dissect how much of Alex Murphy's still inside you can choose whether you want people to refer to you as Alex or Robocop um, there's all that stuff in there that is the fundamental extension of the original movie um, and it just it nails the tone so well and then it has so much fun with um, 80s movie tropes and then like the way that like gangsters are portrayed with like, their big stupid over the top hair they've Frank all got leather jackets on yeah. and it's very like how um, the youth were back in like every 80s movie like whether it be Terminator or Robocop or whatever. And then the fact that you can just throw motorbikes at people. You can just do all these ridiculous moves, um, which are really, really fun. I think that the upgrade system is great. Way more in-depth than I thought it was going to be. Like, it, it's got a little bit of Deus Ex in there in terms of, like, um, you're noticing things in the level of, like, oh, if I spec that way, I could unlock that safe, or I could go, um, mm. you know, I could go that way. I could recharge my health using this thing or whatever. And I think I wasn't expecting any of that from a Robocop game whatsoever. Um, I think at the very, very end, I don't know if you agree with this, you and I'll do specific plot spoilers, but mm. I thought the very end, they kind of binned off a lot of the the build they had but like the only issue I had with the very ending is that they um they didn't do the Red Dead Redemption 2 route and they have you get the guy in a cutscene like yeah I, I deserve, we deserve to have that moment of going yeah like, so that was the one reminds me of Army of Two which is a weird call but I remember <laughs> at the end of Army of Two they kill the person in a cutscene I was like what are we doing mm-hmm. um but yeah Robocop and um I guess I what do you think of that like franchise approach like does it when you see because at the minute we have all these things like Indiana Jones is still coming up like does that give you hope or does that make you go oh that's going to be within a certain confine uh, yeah, actually, I am kind of optimistic about it at the moment because mm-hmm. it's actually a point that I made. Fine enough that you use the word surprise, like I made a video on the best surprises of the year, and mm-hmm. it was movie adaptations are actually something that you could potentially rely on again. Mm-hmm. Like, there's been a bunch of really good ones. Robocop is one of them. Nobody expected Change, Texas Chainsaw Massacre to be as oh, good as it yes. was. That's a very good because one. so many four v one horror things, especially yeah. adapted from existing franchises. It was just like, is this just going to be another one of the? And it was so true to the source 
source material mm-hmm. and that kind of feeling that you got out of it that was just wonderful so it seems like we might be getting to a point where these become a bit more like passion projects mm-hmm. and less like let's milk the IP mm-hmm. and the Robocop well, I've not played Robocop but what I've seen of it it looks hilarious yeah like, like the gore is so on point and ridiculous <laughs> there's literally a perk you can unlock which makes the gore even better that's yeah. great and just <laughs> the fact that before and I have seem to remember there was a Robocop game in the 2000s that was just like the most generic thing ever they just put Robocop in it did you play that where it was like dredge versus death dredge versus death sorry it rings a bell. Like something Xbox. in the back of my head. Yeah, it was on the. Yes. Actually, no, I'm thinking of Judge Dredd. What am yeah. I talking about? Yeah, yeah. That's literally there was Judge something Dredd. for a Robocop on the original <laughs> X. Right, I'm okay. sure of it. Though. <laughs> but yeah. the fact that this feels like Robocop, mm-hmm. like the, the, the combat's completely different to everything else because you're mm. Robocop. You don't need to hide behind chest high walls. Yeah. Like, it's so cool. And it's like, it's with that as well, like you sort of realize how much you've taken certain control schemes and assumptions of character abilities from the genre. It's like, well, of course, I'd have like a run slide or a, a crouch or like a jump button. And it's like, because you don't have those things, it frees up those button assignments which you then get for a shield or a slow motion button or whatever and then they give you those things over time and it's like you get yeah. like a charge forward dash thing you can grab anyone and throw them at other people it's just like it's so much fun I, while we're here I should also give a shout out to my boys at Ilphonic for the Ghostbusters yeah. Spirits Unleashed mm. game which is incredibly fun and mm-hmm. came out last year and it's been continually getting support still like that could have been one of these where it's like we made a cheap Ghostbusters 4v1 and it gets six months of support but like they have carried it on and I on and on they just out. released it for PC and Switch with like a new story thing nice. it's it's great like we should say we're not sponsored by them we're not sponsored by them i've come strength to strength on strength yeah. to strength though um i think they did a halloween game or they did another 4v1 or something beforehand yeah so because well, like i feel like they originally they originally did the friday the 13th, friday the 13th game. that was it and then like then texas chainsaw was i think gun part of media. was gun yeah. okay so same publisher mm-hmm. and then um and then now you've got the ghostbusters stuff then on the other side you've got Taeon doing uh terminator resistance now they've just done robocop yep. and they started on the rambo game which is the one to avoid yeah um, but still, oh, yeah. you've kind of got both these studios doing old school license stuff right mm-hmm. um, and doing games that you know, obviously couldn't release at the time because of technology and everything, but maybe visions that certain creators had, now they're able to do them. Um, like I said, all around, that Robocop game is so much, is a full, fully formed thing in a way that I never <laughs> would have yeah, met, for sure. never would have expected. I just need someone to look at like doing another Max Payne revival, but they make it a full John Woo thing and they either do a Stranglehold <laughs> sequel or we, mm. we go into like the hard target route we get mullet, JCVD, <sighs> jumping through glass and dual wielding brothers. I just, I want, people. I want more third person shooters. Like you yeah. never get them anymore. Like I want third person shooters where I have a melee How option. How hard would a third person lethal weapon co-op game be? <laughs> yeah. So good. And then every time you kill someone, you get a, a saxophone going. <laughs> 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 I love it. But I'm just like thinking about like post Max Payne, you had Stranglehold, you had Enter the Matrix, like mm. give me acrobatic third person shooters. Dead to rights was awesome. You can kick a dude's face. It was great. My next one is uh, the idea that I just want to say gaming doesn't need Hollywood. I feel like the Game Awards hammered this home, and I want to talk about um, I want to talk about a couple of things um, about the uh, integrity of the games industry and just how much the game Game Awards steered into being seen by Hollywood. Now, me and you and talked about it a little bit on the one of the podcasts we did last week, um, and I always feel like gaming's had this this sort of inferiority complex where it's like, oh, gaming isn't really a medium until it has like you know fully voiced cutscenes and it has the motion capture stuff, and we have anything that. 
Hollywood was doing before. And Holly and uh, gaming isn't really seen as this um, you know credible medium until it can make you cry or it can do all these different things. And I love all that stuff. But the reason I love that stuff is because it, it can be added to the whole. Um, and I just I kind of want to just spin this off into a general conversation about um, like I said the validity of the games themselves, um, and then maybe talk about the game awards and the way that that stuff went and the idea of awards versus trailers and um, caring about the recognition or just caring about the next thing. Um, what did either of you, I guess start with Silent, what did you think of the all the celebrity stuff in the Game Awards? I didn't necessarily notice it or care about it that much in the moment, but I get the um, yeah. people saying, like, look, the, the fact that you had you know, Anthony Mackie and Simu Liu and all these different people coming out and Timothy Chalamet um, versus celebrating the creatives who actually made the games. Yes. That's one thing. And then the idea of, um, you know, steering into Hollywood, like Hideo Kojima getting all buddy-buddy with Jordan Peele and, like, his new OD, his yes. new game OD is full of celebrities and or, or actors anyway. And um, that idea of, like, gaming in Hollywood shadow, which has been a thing for, like, decades at this Point. I agree. At the time, the sort of onstage performances of these uh, guys wasn't a bad thing, necessarily. Yeah. Anthony no. Mackie, maybe aside. That was I default went, oh, cool. I mean, I like all those people. Anthony Mackie's bit was a little bit cringe for me. Right. But, um, but, <laughs> Tell people to shut up. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it was like he was trying to be a meme. I was yeah. like, okay, get on with it. Anyway, but by the end <laughs> of it, it did leave a bad taste because they got infinitely more time than anybody actually in the industry. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like the guy that went up there to accept, I don't know his name, the, the Larian Studios gentleman who went oh, up there in his full armor. Yeah. Got no time at all to talk about game of the year, Baldur's Gate 3. And yeah. instead we had Anthony Mackie, like you say, telling people to shut up for like f- what felt like five whole minutes. That Sven guy as well, he just this morning, uh, as we're recording this, did a 16-part tweet just saying, this is what I wanted to say uh, oh, if I him. had more chance. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah. Like uh, across the board, it is like, it's an interesting time because we just talked a little bit about uh, superhero fatigue, I guess. Mm. And it seems like celebrities are now less looking in that direction. I want to worm my way into getting a big payday from a superhero film. Mm. Maybe video games <laughs> are my next place to go. This is where all the money is. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe it's telling that this is, that's part of it. And they're all, we some of them go out there. Didn't what's uh, Matthew McConaughey say? Basically, I don't know anything about video games. <laughs> part of it. I'm not a gamer, but yeah, like, well, you don't need to be a gamer necessarily, but it, it felt so, Hey guys, I'm bigger than all of you. <laughs> yeah. There was a whole thing where he came out and he was, like, I didn't expect it to be this big or something. I was yeah, like, what did exactly. you think it was going to be? Like a little I, basement show. This is where I publicly declare I, I don't that. like Matthew McConaughey. Okay. <laughs> I find him really obnoxious and annoying. And apparently he's really weird. Okay, <laughs> I like him enough, but I just don't follow him that much. But like harmlessly weird, I think. Mm. But like in those situations, it just kind of speaks volumes to the idea of the Game Awards not taking itself seriously and having to lower itself to be recognized by Hollywood. Gonzo. Which right. I'm a Gonzo mo- up there. Like I'm a movie. I'm <laughs> That's a, mo- a long running thing. I, Gonzo point. can go where Gonzo pleases. <laughs> but like as someone who is a movie guy, first and foremost, mm. I do find it embarrassing on gaming's behalf that this keeps happening. Mm-hmm. I think you, if you have a Game Award space, you need to be recognizing gaming people and being like, hey, yeah. this is this is why we're here. Yeah. I think in Kojima's case, it makes sense because that dude loves movies and all of his games are so heavily, basically his entire gaming career is indebted to the filmic medium. Like, you yeah. know, like you look at mm-hmm. like Metal Gear Solid taking inspiration from stuff like Escape from New York. A lot of anime. Like well. you look at like, um, he just, it's tweets about movies in general. So yeah. in Kojima's case, it makes sense. I probably think he should just direct a film to get it out of his system. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know why he refuses um, to do this. But in in the other scenarios, I don't know, like I enjoy, like I, I can get away with having Hollywood, you know, I think it's good to have filmmaking contributions if you're aiming for a cinematic experience. Mm-hmm. But certainly from where I was sitting on the Game Awards, it, not that I was there, but in my <laughs> in my couch at home, uh-huh. it very much came across as like, oh, 
we are just we, we're just getting these guys because they're big names and maybe we'll get slightly more but anyone who's obsessed with Timothy Chalamet for for <laughs> Dune He's shooting does, the shooting rounds like, well no I don't like I don't dislike Timothy Chalamet right. but I think anyone who is a Timothy Chalamet is primarily primary fandom I don't think is like particularly like going to be like oh I'm going to look at the game awards because Timothy Chalamet is there right yeah, probably see sure. a few screen caps on Twitter and go oh Timothy my boy Timothy was at the game awards so That's random cute. when he was in um, he was at Kojima studios like he was I assumedly he's being scanned in for Death Stranding 2 because they were like in for Death Stranding 2 I imagine that Kojima's only gone wider in terms of the amount of faces you can get in yeah because um, that the first game had you know everybody from Jordan Vote Roberts to Conan O'Brien it was just like why why not get these people in um so yeah I, I definitely agree with that it was like what, this dude's so random um but yeah it kind of all speaks to that idea of like gaming is only valid when it has the big big movie celebrities in there as opposed to building up the own our own gaming celebrities and doubling down on them it's just weird because like gaming makes so much money yeah. and like you don't necessarily need Hollywood's approval because you're a different medium like again like you can have cinematic experiences and so many games have been inspired by films like uh -huh. the most successful gaming franchise of all time owes its existence to films and Grand Theft Auto mm. that was entirely based on you know the, 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 the House of Brothers kind of love for you know crime movies yeah. mm -hmm. and action movies and old cinema mm -hmm. so I totally get that but I think there needs to be a general conversation there about like well are we subtly coding here that we think that only cinematic games are like the end result of this entire experiment? Yes. Are we saying that we think that games that aren't cinematic are less? Like it, it, to me, it's just, it's a really weird, it gives me the ick and I wish That's, that they would move away from that. I love that conversation because I think that whole thing about like a lot of people say The Last of Us is the best game of all time or at the time it was like oh my god this is such a phenomenal video game and it is and I love it but at the same time a lot of those biggest moments come from the cutscenes they come from the um, the acting they come from the performances however if I was gonna I would argue that, that that stuff only lands because of the amount of time you fundamentally spend with character agency controlling Joel with Ellie and spending that time together going on that journey together for about 20 hours or so and um, that it makes those moments land and you need both it was the thing I was mentioning before about you bring in the, the filmic parts and you add them onto the gameplay stuff Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. 
For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Um, but that, as a wider conversation, comes up all the time of like, oh, the, this is the best game ever because it made me cry, or this is the best game ever right. um, because of this cutscene moment, or it looks beautiful, or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but the core of the medium, like the gameplay side of it, the mechanical side of it, um, isn't as sky high as the rest of it. I think it's weird. Like, I think in certain cases, like you look at like, I think Rockstar have the right approach here where they don't really do stunt celebrity casting. Not they anymore. Cast, they cast actors. I mean, they, yeah, they obviously did it back, back in the day, but it was never a case of like, you can tell immediately this this is this is uh, Joe Pantaleano because it's not Joe Pantaleano's face. Or they specifically it's like said Ray Liotta's. You can't really immediately tell that it's Ray Liotta's mm. face in, in Vice City. Super quick, like they yeah. specifically said after San Andreas that they were stopping doing that because yes. people were only hearing the actor. Yeah, and not like the Samuel Jackson, character. obviously as well in San mm. Andreas. But it's like a case of like now, like they 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 do cast actors, but it's never a case of. It's we're hinging this on you recognizing an actor's face, like whereas with something like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, mm. where and again I love Keanu Reeves, but it's very much a case of look guys, we have we have Keanu Reeves and now we have Idris Elba, <laughs> we have Idris Elba too, isn't that so cool? And it's kind bit, of like, yeah. are you casting this person because you think they're good for your game and you couldn't find anyone else, or are you just casting it because you want to have Idris Elba in your game? I don't know. It, it, it's it's a really weird I one for me. And, yeah. and Elba not attending, obviously actors don't attend even the most prestigious awards ceremonies if they're busy, but it's a case of like, well, what what are we doing here? Because I don't, I'm looking at like Phantom Liberty, I think it is. Yep. I've not played it. Just from looking on the outside in, it doesn't seem like it's a, it just looks like Idris Elba doing his thing. Apparently it's great. I've not played it yet either. That that example, Cyberpunk's fascinating because it was, um, I don't know how Keanu was having the game demoed to him. Um, he was originally going to have a way, way smaller role in it and apparently he was so up for doing more of it um, that uh, Adam Bratowski, who was the project leader at the time, ostensibly gutted the whole project to make the whole thing around him and then he became the, the Johnny Silverhand character and it was a whole thing. Um, which is one of the reasons that Cyberpunk was so off the rails for most of its development. Um, and 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 that Badowski guy was the guy that wanted it to be chasing GTA and we're going to put it around in calories, but GTA will chase all these things. It'll make loads of money. And obviously it went very sideways. Um, but that's interesting, that idea of like, hey, look, we have we have X person. Um, is that enough to get you in? And I think that like some of that stuff, I don't mind that. I don't, like I said, I'm not, I, I don't think you need to um, wipe that out as a possibility. And I think that Keanu and um, Idris Elba both seem really solid in Cyberpunk, but it is it is interesting, that idea of like stunt casting for the sake of it. It would be like if yeah. like Rockstar- It's what John Bernthal had in Ghost, in, um, I was Ghost Recon. Say, it'd be like if, if the, G, the GTA 6 trailer 
Jennifer, Lucia, and I forget the dude's Jason. name, Jason. He literally had John Bernthal as Jason <laughs> or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, that was the whole thing. But mm. you already invested in these these people we don't really know. Like, I don't think many people knew who Roger Clark was, no. by and large, before Red Dead Redemption 2. Or um, Stephen Ogg, is it, who played Trevor in yeah. GT, yeah. GTA 5? Mm -hmm. Like, people may have recognized them from like bit parts in different TV shows and films or whatever, but never like fully like, oh, this is this person. And this is like, this is the thing for me. I feel like maybe we imprint better on unknown actors who are, you know, physical performers at the same yeah. time, yeah. rather than looking at, oh, I just have, I'm just talking to Idris Elba. And it was like that with Call of Duty as well when they had like Kit Harrington and Infinite War. <laughs> I was about to say, we're <laughs> that reaching that today, yeah. sort of peak now where you're getting like limited returns from it every time because all major trailers now seem to end with like a helmet coming off and being like, oh, it's that actor. <laughs> you know, yeah. back to Matthew McConaughey. It was like, we're going to sell this. That's the first time you see this game. And the first thing you see of it is we have this actor. Right, it's front, front and center stage. That's mm -hmm. how they revealed this game. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely becoming a breaking point of the trend, I think, where every Every major game has at least one major actor. Listen, didn't Callisto like, Protocol have Josh DeHamel? Like yeah, yeah, quite a few. Uh, I'm <laughs> waiting to see who's in Elder Scrolls Six. Oh God, because it's going to be some, got here again. Maybe Chris Pratt, I don't Sean know. Bean, or something. They, yeah. have, they won't have their face though. I think that's the main thing. I think mm. if you can, I think voice acting in itself is that kind of when sure. you scan someone's face and it becomes a facial catch performance. It's it's a different thing to just having the voice. I think yeah. I mean, I think the thing that's interesting. I'll round my point up, point off by saying that that idea of like, look how many actors are dying to get into this. So it might be a good segue into your next point, Sai, is like um, the fact that there are so many actors sort of chomping at the bit to get into these things in a way that they weren't even five or 10 years ago, to me speaks to how big the industry's got and how important gaming is um, and how that inferiority complex just doesn't need to be there anymore. Yeah. Like we've proven ourselves at this point. But is it a case of actors dying to get in or is it the agent saying, I have an easy six weeks of work for you <laughs> and you can come yeah. in and do this facial capture thing and you'll do all your recording sessions really quickly mm. and then you'll get paid a hefty amount and then you can go and work on the stuff you actually want to. Maybe. I mean, I don't know if your next point side was the adaptation thing, but yeah. we, can, we can talk about that because I think it's the fact that the, I mean, it's your point, but like the idea that adaptations are the next thing anyway. For sure. It's an interesting time because it runs both ways completely. Like everyone talked about the curse of video game films for so long and whether on, you know, it's still conversation. About they didn't even see Silent Hill 1, did they? They just, they, <laughs> they kept saying it's after that. It's an okay film. Detective uh, Pikachu, they just kept going. <laughs> but there's obviously the talk about whether or not the curse is broken. And wherever you where you might land it's on that, broken years ago, exactly right. But it, whether it's broken years or no years ago or not, this mm. year has absolutely been one of the best years for video game adaptations. Um, the Last of Us mm. was great, as I said before, because you don't have to play the gameplay part. It's just the good. <laughs> it's just the good bits. Uh, the Mario movie. I love the Mario Gangbusters, movie so fantastic. Uh, Obviously, it was great fun. Um, Castlevania, not the best season of the show so far, I think it's fair to say, but it's... The fact that it exists, though, you've got four seasons of the it's original. It's still going, and they did a bit of a reboot with it as well, and it's that's kind of neat mm -hmm. that they've carried on and they see the success in that. You've just had Onomusha come out sort of recently, mm -hmm. which I don't know how well that's landed. Um, same with Gran Turismo, seems to be a bit of mixed reviews, but mm. some people seem to be enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Twisted Metal just got renewed for season two. That's quite a lot of adaptations going that's on right this, now. Yeah. Like, I feel like yeah. it speaks to an overall mentality that, like, I mean, we just mentioned the idea that, like, you know, the, the Disney approach to Marvel and Star Wars, that those things feel exhausted. I feel like the next pool of franchises, that, you know, the next pool of IPs is gaming. It's definitely coming. There's a bunch yeah. of stuff in work, in the works, isn't there? We've got Fallout coming soon, which mm. looks really good. God of I'm War as well. surprised Genuinely? I mean, it's got the Walton Goggins seal of well, approval, so for sure. there. Um, <laughs> the Gog stamp. We might finally get the Borderlands movie, which probably will be terrible. That's meant to be terrible. Yeah, yeah it's probably like going to be bad. I've but seen the set photos of <laughs> Kate Blanchett just looking completely done. <laughs> like, I'll be amazed. 
from like six years ago. ago or something. Yeah, it was like wasn't Eli it? Roth directing? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. There's That's a God of War, God of War TV show as well. Like yes, Amazon have got that. Yeah. Uh, Devil May Cry. Um, For the anime side, yeah. Are, obviously, Nintendo are now doing Zelda and yep. who knows what else after that. So there's oh, a lot of stuff to come. Uh, but, you know, and in years past, you would look at all of this and be like, this is going to be terrible. This is go- <laughs> Please don't do this to the thing I love. Uh-huh. Now there is a much more markedly different opinion on, oh, okay. You They've know. had way more wins in the last few years than they yeah. have in the last two decades, like by yeah. far. Yeah. I still think if you have something like Tom Holland's Uncharted that you guys aren't out of the woods yet. <laughs> I, like, I like Tom Holland's Uncharted. Was your bones trying to leave your body <laughs> and how bad that take was? I don't know if anyone heard the, the wrist snap then. That's Scott's skeleton leaping out of fear. <laughs> chemically rejected that opinion. <laughs> I didn't mind that movie at all. I thought he was quite a nice little young Drake. I thought it was all right. Yeah, you think, ending... think uh, Salih talks like this? He's, you know, my this focus, is, you know? That's why you get Tom Holland, but I thought that final set piece is pretty inventive. Two little, two little ships. Nice. Yeah, I didn't yeah. watch it. It looked really bad. You don't even see it. Well, why would I want to watch Tom Holland's <laughs> Uncharted, man? Anyone who played the Uncharted games and is happy and is saying I'm seriously happy with Tom Holland playing Nathan Drake, you got to watch him. Lying to themselves. Got to watch him. No, he's all right. No, Scott. not too bad. No. <laughs> Bad. No, he's not too bad. But um, <laughs> yeah, but that, that whole thing of Sony doubling down, obviously they opened the, um, I forget what they call it, PlayStation Studios, I think is the new mm-hmm. logo. Yeah. Um, and then you have Gran Turismo, you have um, Uncharted. And they wanted Horizon to, coming. Yeah, Horizon's coming. Which, which I am, admittedly. <laughs> I just said, you could be more positive about it. That I don't know how to feel about. But I think the overall um, idea, though, that it's like, okay, we've rinsed comics dry. We're still going to keep doing them, but yep. what else can we go for? Okay, let's do gaming. We have the technology to do a lot of visual effects that can match some of the uh, things that are happening in the, in the games. Um, there's a Metal Gear Solid movie as well, like Jordan Vote Roberts' Metal Gear Solid movie. Is that years ever ago. happening? I have no, he reckons he finished the script a few years ago, but it's like he couldn't get someone to put it through or something. Um, but yeah, overall, that idea of like, what's the next group of fans that we can target? Um, yeah. And Sonic blowing up so much is a whole thing. Like yeah. Sonic 2 yeah. is Sonic ludicrously three. successful. Sonic 3 on the way. Put yeah. the Sonic and Mario success in a different bracket to these because they are kids' movies. They are kids' animated movies. Oh, I don't know. And kids' family movies in yeah. Sonic's cases. Yeah. I don't think they're catering specifically towards a video game fan. They have a lot of fan service in them. But I think they're still fundamentally, these are like, to a general audience, they were successful yes. because they were kids' things. We recognize Mario as a kids thing and then we can have a kids yeah. movie. Oh, but they get that's, the wider age brackets in a way that like the minions didn't do. Or something. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the important thing is that they figured out that that's how to market them. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, and not yeah. do what they did in 1993 with the Mario Brothers, which I love that movie, by the way. So you think the Bob Hoskins flew. <laughs> I don't I'll defend Bob you know, Hoskins. I love that film. <laughs> But they obviously went, no, this is what we need mm. to do to make money. And I think it's figuring out how to do sure this in some... the right way. It just like, I think this week, a trailer for the season two of uh, Halo came out. Yeah. And all the comments were, ah, oh, this is what season one should have been. This yeah. is more I want. So, you know. Halo's another one that I did not expect to go anywhere near as well as it, it go down as well as it did. Like I, I thought people hated people that, hate first that season. Don't they? The fans did. That thing blew up like loads though. Like for the mainstream audience. Like, I've not the, seen it. There's a Halo cookbook now. Like there's a whole thing where Halo is bigger than it used to be. And okay. um, for the average consumer, the average watcher of Paramount Plus apparently. You know, the point of the viewer figures were ridiculous for that thing. Um, <laughs> compared to what they um, were expected to be. As opposed to, yeah, Halo fans were like, that's not what his face should look like. 
like if you want to see a face at all and Cortana looks ridiculous. You don't ridiculous. want to see John 117 getting down. No, I don't. Not unless it's with his suit, which is as lore appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, Halo 2 coming back is, is another one for season two. Um, but overall, yeah, I feel like there is that push into how many different things can we adapt. I feel like it's a lot of money men going like, oh my God, they're all right here. We can do all of these. I yeah. will say it's not technically a video game adaptation because it was a book beforehand, mm. but Chad Stahelski and uh, Michael B. Jordan are doing a Rainbow Six movie. Um, are they? Yes, mm. which I'm really excited about mm. because That's... I love Chad Stahelski and uh, I really love the Tom Clancy <laughs> yeah, yeah. and the Tom Clancy books and, and stuff and, and like adaptations are really cool. So if, I think maybe given the video gaminess of John Wick Chapter Four, maybe old Chad's looking yeah. at Rainbow Six Vegas and Rainbow Six Vegas Two. It's like how can we get those vibes? Well, you've going got again? like you know Ubisoft doubled down until they messed it up, but they doubled down on the Tom Clancy stuff overall. Like there was the whole thing about how they renewed the they you know they obviously had the license for a while anyway, and then they. After he passed away, like a few years ago, and they doubled down on that 10 stuff. Ten years ago, right? I remember them just saying, like, <laughs> "We're going to keep going." The, yeah. the Clancy name will keep going. And then we had Wildlands, and we had, um, you know, the Ghost Recon and, and Six, the Division. They invented some new IP, and like there was that whole conversation around: is it the kind of IPs that he would have put together if he was still alive and everything? Um, I like. <laughs> they just seem to keep going, be keeping keeping going with that name. It's like let's we can have a whole Tom Clancy movie verse, and we can tie all these things <laughs> together um, after two Division movies and everything. Um, you and your second point. Please. Um, I've already forgotten it. This is absolutely <laughs> terrible. Um, I kind of wanted to, we meant, we've already kind of encompassed different talking points that I was going to mention. We mentioned like the ballooning, having the conversations about mm. like ballooning video game development and is it sustainable? You mentioned the layoffs, mentioned like, you know, the, the year of like video game, like tight, like uh, comebacks and stuff uh -huh. and, and like film adaptations and things. If we've touched on enough points, that is more I than think okay. I think we have. The only other thing that I could really contribute is that I'm really happy that I still find enjoyment in Hell Let Loose and that I can still play that and, <laughs> and, and have a fun old time. That's what your entry on the Game of the Year video would have been if you weren't yeah. a little old man. I'm looking forward to drastically the return of GTA. I think GTA is an overall mm. thing that is going to be such a good thing for the industry. I'm very much excited to see a new Rockstar game. Uh -huh. um, it's been a very weird year in terms of like waiting for them to do something yes. and like the leaks and stuff. Like and just, it's the meme. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and like how GTA Online just continues to lumber on and stuff. Uh -huh. And now that we're actually going to get this, it is huge. The trailer thing was a big moment. Um, and <laughs> I can't believe we have to wait another two years to get to it. But I Ugh. like did a IGN actually uploaded the other day a um, supercut of every single GTA trailer. Um, going from the oh, first game that, yeah. through to the most recent one. Uh -huh. And I've got to tell you, GTA V's marketing campaign was so good. I didn't realize how nostalgic I was for that game until I was like watching all the different trailers. Right. And, uh, chain smoking. I was sleepwalking by the, um, oh, it's like the Chain Gang in 1974 came oh, on. See, it's like, yeah. That whole way they rolled that stuff out, like they have, they always have such a stylistic mindset when they put those trailers out. I'll always remember GTA Three, Vice City, and San Andreas's trailers, especially yeah. Vice City with Iran. It was on the second trailer, mm. um, because the original one had that escalating sound effect thing. It's from a song, Boy. yeah, that like. Thing <laughs> and that was great, and then, but then when they finally started putting, uh, they put Flock of Seagulls Iran in the background for the second trailer. That was the one where it was. Do you remember that era of game trailers where it was just here's character shooting rifle and they just pan the camera past them? And Metal Gear had it <laughs> yeah. for a bit. It was great, and it's just like the same when you watch those old GTA trailers. Um, but that worked so well at the time. Um, but yeah, like the way that um, GTA's came back, I loved that they put like a storytelling foot forward that it wasn't leading with GTA Online. It was like I'm no, so excited. Yeah, and I'm like, here's some characters. They're really 
really well rounded. Like they, you know, I mean, obviously we haven't got the Jason trailer yet, which is the rumored follow up trailer. Um, but it'll be sometime next year at this point. Um, but I'm already in love with Lucia, and I I love the way that stuff's already already coming together. Um, I wanted to super quick uh, touch on um, as my final point, just that idea of game preservation, which I think we've talked about a little bit before. Um, but I'm mainly using this as a way to shout out the uh, Atari collections, which I've mentioned before. Um, but we can segue into this like a general approach to like how much old stuff to either of you tend to play. Um, and do you do you think that stuff matters? I feel like a lot of the, uh, across the pandemic, a lot of people rediscovered their old libraries because there wasn't that much coming out, um, and they doubled down on you know like original Xbox, original PS2, 360 games, and going back to things as opposed to chasing the newest, shiniest thing all the time. And it kind of ties into where budget should be placed. Um, because you have, on the Sony side, I know Jim Ryan's stepping down next year, but he was the guy talking about, you know, people don't care about old games. Mm. And, and he over time, he tried to clarify it, saying that um, comparing the original Gran Turismo to the newest one, why would anybody want to play the original? He reckons that was his original point. Fair enough. But, still a um, bad point. Still, yeah, sorry, exactly. Still it's like the newer Gran Turismo don't have that banging early 2000s soundtrack. They do not <laughs> give me feeder any day. But um, yeah, so I think that was something that across the pandemic, I was like, okay, I'm reinvesting in older stuff. Not that I didn't play old games, but how much do you want that old archival stuff to be available and how much do you tend to go back to stuff? Because I, I try and have a mix, I think, at, these, at this point. Yeah, it's a very passionate point for me, to be honest. Do Game it. preservation is something that I deeply care about. Uh -huh. I think it's disgusting that we're in the state that we're in and i know i've said it before where you know some rubbish movie from the 1940s can get a blu-ray release and <laughs> excuse me i didn't some name rubbish i'm movie? not naming any names just there are some films out there that like have had a million releases every five years they do another 4k restoration and then you've got video games that are you know called iconic that haven't been <laughs> left the out of the original filmic decade ever because movies are more important so clearly it's just, obviously that's the industry uh, it's just it's terrible it's a terrible state of affairs and i do think that people care about it um probably not as much as they perhaps should mm. But I think there wouldn't be as many classic collections releasing in the last few years if people didn't buy them. Yeah, like Mega Man true. has done like four of them at this point, <laughs> I think. And there's a whole bunch of them coming out. So I guess that's probably a good thing. And uh -huh. you can say that that's still kind of steeped in capitalism. Oh, we can make money off people by reselling them games they already own. But it's, it is important that those games are available, at least in some form. Everybody yeah. poo-pooed Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 1's performance issues mm. or whatever else. And to be fair, rightfully that... I think the... Lots of removed stuff from that as well. Same with the GTA. Well, yes, it's that yeah. as well. But I'm just, that's obviously like a legal thing that yeah. they've got. But I think on the... Um, I don't know how true this is, but I've heard that some of the games are on the physical version and the rest you have to download from a store. You do on the codes. One, yeah. yeah, okay. But that's kind of like, that's not great <laughs> either, is it, to be honest? Because those things can just vanish off a store. We all know this. We're going through this right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know the, the the rise of classic collections is good. It just needs to be a lot more of it. I am I'm all about it, and there needs to. Be, I don't know what it is that needs to be done, but something needs to be done. That, yeah, you and your thoughts. I want to shout a specific thing after this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think this is something that needs more attention driven towards it because you're right to mention film preservation because the movie industry by and large even though there has been some many howlers over the years you know <laughs> most of the silent movies like loads of them were lost in like vault fires mm -hmm. in like the 1930s mm -hmm. 1920s 1940s um, and there are some films that were made even after that point that have been like lost in vault accidents or haven't been preserved properly by and large movies are much better at doing this now we have a you know a, the, the library of congress like stores stuff that's like culturally important yeah. and stuff like that like you say we do get new restorations which when done right are really good not true lies um and you know that is an important thing because i think the issue that we're getting at the minute now 
is that because we've got a situation where on PlayStation, which is the most widely played library of consoles, mm-hmm. you can't bring across stuff from the PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3 through to your PlayStation 4. Well, you can on the PlayStation 4, but you can't bring the, the aforementioned consoles over to your PS5. Mm. And then you have the remasters, the things you can download, which always don't always pan out. Um, we have an issue here where like gaming has learned weird lessons from the from comic book industry stuff where we're now getting things like, oh, you want to actually like play like an old game um, that used to cost like a 10 or 10 years ago? Well, tough luck because some idiot nerd has put it in a slab and has graded it. And now we're gonna have to pay like several hundred pounds to play it or whatever. Right. That stuff is disgusting. It's <laughs> yeah. putrid. It should not be, the fact that it's like found a home in this space is ridiculous. And this is speaking- How do you mean put in a slab? Because when you slap something, it's. have you not seen this? No. So people are literally putting games, cartridges and- oh. Oh, boxes you. in right. um, like plastic like slabs so they can be graded. So if your game has a higher grade of preservation, it means it's got less like wear and tear. If you wanted to play the Futurama game, because I looked this up by the way, <laughs> I was quite interested in maybe being like, oh maybe I'll like replay that kind of mid Futurama game from like 2003 yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, Cool. Um, I went on eBay. There was a, most of the you have to pay over forty pounds to get a pre-owned version of that game now, which again I get a you know scarcity demand whatever. There was some guy on there selling a slabbed version of the Futurama game for I think it was like several hundred pounds. Right. Um, it might have even been more. It might have been close to like the um, the, the four figure number. Right. Um, which is just ridiculous to me. I, I absolutely <laughs> hate that. And it's an, it's an, it's a point that we need to, I think like people need to boycott that practice. First of all, this is kind of a separate Ooh. conversation, but in terms of video game preservation overall, uh-huh. yes, we need more of it. The games companies need to be better at it. There is money to be made there. There's nothing to be ashamed about in doing that. Um, I personally just need, uh, I've, I've spoken to you years, like I need to get an Xbox One or Series X should, so I yeah. can basically play my 360 and OG mm-hmm. Xbox library mm-hmm. together. You should get a Series because oh, no. My OG Xbox is still Series chug- S there, My OG <laughs> Xbox is still chugging. I can still yeah. play stuff right. like that. I've got a nice little HDMI SCART conversion cable that goes in. It's a little bit blurry at times, uh-huh. but it looks great. I can play it. It's mm-hmm. fun. If I want to p- play Batman Vengeance, on a Saturday morning, um, I'm feeling in that way. I can yep. do that. That's um, I love having like a little retro corner. Like I got my N64. I've got the HDMI um, upscaler thing. Um, and yeah, if I want to play FIFA 95, I can. Yeah. And I was <laughs> Star Wars Rogue Squadron. Get, or get, get Robbie Fowler and the goals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like but that's the thing. It's like you've got, everyone's had to go out of their way to set up their own little retro corners, which is there's something really satisfying about putting that stuff oh, together. Absolutely. Yeah. But it does. But at the same time, uh, it's almost ex, it's almost accepted um, or expected in the gaming industry that most legacy stuff won't be available past at one generation it's so ridiculous because could you imagine like the best thing about like film is that if you have a Blu-ray or a 4K player now you can play a DVD that was manufactured in 1999 with no right. issues it won't look that great because it's a very old you know kind of it's not got a, like a high bit rate or whatever it's not like got as much data in a Blu-ray or 4K mm. disc but you can still fundamentally play it if you own that disc from 30 20, well, yep. 25 years yep. ago you can still play That's that the... whereas with gaming you have so many different hoops to jump through and this the longer it gets put off the longer that playstation doesn't address this and i think it is primarily a playstation issue because obviously xbox needs to expand its library and make sure, sure. That it has mm. more backwards compatible stuff too but the longer playstation puts this issue off 
the longer term, I feel like this is going to do more damage to Backwards preservation. compatibility yeah. is the spine of the issue, isn't it? Yeah. Like ever since they started releasing consoles that were vaguely backwards compatible or not at all, it was like, well, this is going to be a long-term problem. Yeah. And I you're love not the thing accounting for that. With the Xbox as well, where when the Xbox One launched, it was like, oh, we're not doing backwards compatibility and everything fundamentally runs through the Kinect and that's the way that it's going to be. And then obviously that thing didn't sell at all. And they were like, oh God, sorry, right, no, we'll, we'll figure yeah. it out. We figured it out somehow. And, uh, and if you watch, there's a really good uh, documentary um, that Xbox themselves put out where it's just very honest about how many mistakes they made in interviews with a lot of the original t- um, staff who weren't there anymore um, about that whole period and how what they were aiming for, what they messed up. Um, and they talk about how to get that working there to get the Xbox One to emulate either an original Xbox or a 360 inside the Xbox One hardware mm-hmm. so that the console... Um, it thinks it's running, uh, like it, it runs a fake console inside itself, and which is a really cool technical w- wizardry. Should um, always been the way. Yeah, Sorry, exactly. Should just be standard. And it's like they're standard uh, disc sizes for the last twenty plus years as well. Like the, there is a way for a, a, a laser disc thing to, you know, um, a reader to recognize what that disc is and do something with it, even if the solution is downloading another file, which is what the um, Xbox 360 solution was, where you would just download a version of it. Uh, it was just verif- using the disc to verify the purchase. Um, the reason I wanted to mention this is because and I've mentioned these loads on podcasts, but it's because I love the whole approach. Um, it's what Digital Extremes are doing with um, Atari's back catalog. Um, and it's a whole thing with, um, and we're not sponsored by it at all, but I just love it. Um, it's the Atari like sort of restoration project that they've got going on where they've done a lot of uh, remakes of their iconic games. They've put them out. They're called, they're called recharged versions of those games. Um, but they also have the Atari 50 collection, which came out last year, which was um, like a sit-down, um, you know, talking heads version of... Uh, all those old games so they talk about the original creators and then they let you play versions of the games as they were in development so you get to the version that released and they have all the notes that were made that were passed between the devs and everything <laughs> I love that stuff like it's all scanned in and everything it's presented really really well um, so they walk you through 50 years worth of Atari I love that thing and then that was last year and then this year um, they did the making of Karataka which is like a specific they've started a whole series where they're spotlighting specific creators um, so they did one on Jordan Mechner who would make Prince of Persia but he did a game mm. called Karataka back in the day, um, which was the first rotoscoped game. And the upcoming one um, is on um, uh, Jeff Minter, who's uh, called Yak. He's the guy that did um, like Tempest and a lot of more over-the-top, out-there oh, games. Okay. And so they're doing, it's going to be next year, but they're spotlighting him and interviewing him and going through all of his early work. And it's like, if you care about gaming at all and you care about the, the 70s gaming scene where it was very, um, it's obviously romanticized looking back, but it was very just, here's some soldering irons and <laughs> some, <laughs> some diodes and I can me a soldier nine in a doubt and, and I'll make I'm it work. Make it. <laughs> and like you know, making um, a character appear and those those form like those um, original steps that led to the building of genres. I adore that stuff, um, and I love that there's a specific publisher developer combo spotlighting it in one of the best ways possible. Like if you care about video game preservation. Um, you know, because like I said, all those original games are made available in those collections as well. Um, it's just the best thing. And I, I was going to do a whole video on it, but then I got ill and I haven't done it. But I, uh, I just want to shout that stuff out. I think it's, I think that is the best way to do uh, making old games available again. Mm. And I would love if Nintendo, Rockstar, Ubisoft, Konami, whatever, you know, sit the original Castlevania team down, the Mega Man team, the Street Fighter team, the Resident Evil teams, mm. and and play those prototypes. Um, Resident Evil 4, there are tons of prototypes that we could play for that. That's another thing I forgot to mention. A lot of uh, movie preservation and restoration is done by auteurs. The mm. reason why we have so many of Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger's movies from the 40s um, by the Archers still, you know, in, in HD now, uh-huh. and the fact they still exist is down to Martin Scorsese and Thelma Shoemaker. Like, the, the, that's individual people mm. kind of going through this, well, basically 
do, putting in their own forceful changes through the system to get these things out there. Mm-hmm. I don't think gaming has those figureheads that are as interested in doing that in a way mm. to maybe push through and be like, these are things worth doing. That's a really good po- project you mentioned. I just, there's one thing that just jumped out to me there. It's like a lot of it is like, sometimes it is just individual artists who oh, are totally. passionate about yeah. the subject matter and the history who want to make sure that it's it's preserved for future generations. It's also, I mean, there's no way that, um, you know, Atari are making bank on selling Yars Revenge in 2023. <laughs> like, it's just, I mean, I'm buying those things. And I think that like, obviously there's a whole bunch of people who were there in the, at the beginning, um, but it's, no, it's not gonna be anywhere near the money of A Last of Us 2 Remastered or something. But to some degree, the conversation that we just had is that idea of the right thing to do and making yeah. gaming history playable yeah. um, and seeing where these genres came from and these gameplay mechanics came from, which is just fascinating. Um, and especially when it's all controllable, where the person's talking about it and then you play what they're talking about. I just think that's such a cool idea and I want to see way more of that. Um, that's my final point. Si, I think you have one more point, but you might not. Yeah, I don't, we don't need to harp on about this because it's it. kind of a, <laughs> ending on a nice Harp, note, my friend. All right, okay, that's fine. You know, 2023, one of the best years for games in quite a while. Uh-huh. Also one of the worst. <laughs> <laughs> lots of... Lots of kind of good? Kind of bad? Yeah. <laughs> lots, lots of poopy stuff this year. Yeah, lots yeah. of borderline nigh on illegal stuff as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the day before would... Uh, That's the prime example, the chart, isn't yeah. it? Where it's like, here's a game that we've told you is some one thing, it releases, it's another, and now, whoops, we're out of business. <laughs> Thanks for your money, bye. We're not going to bother supporting this. Like the highs were higher, the lows were... Really low. low. North Haverbrook, where have I heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly that. And uh, it just they just hits keep on coming with that. Like mm. We did a worst games of the year list, and then after it came out, more worst games came out. Like It's just unbelievable the amount of times this year where it's like, wow, they couldn't possibly sink any lower than this. We had Gollum, and then we went down to Kong, and it just Red kept Falls getting worse. And yeah, oh, Stray Kong. Souls. And there was lots of really, really bad stuff uh-huh. that probably shouldn't have been allowed to happen. <laughs> well, that's the wider conversation. Me and you talked about this a little bit when the uh, day before stuff was breaking, that idea of how much do you expect storefronts or anybody taking sponsorship money to vet the thing that they're yeah. showcasing. And it's like, obviously we've done sponsorships in the past and we're not going out there trying to play the game beforehand. It's very nigh on impossible to be able to do. Um, but at the same time, uh, like I said, like, like we said, like the lowest, the lowest were lower than ever this year. Um, and the likes of um, Game Mill are the publisher that are putting out um, Kong Skull Island. I can't get over that game name. Mill, like it's literally, literally a Game Mill. You're game cranking mill. things out. I can't think who did the, uh, the interview, the anonymous interviews with the developers who worked on those projects, but they talked about the reality of um, they get one year to turn it around and um, it's a very specific budget um, and it, it is literally a game mill it's just just churning it over um, the Avatar game this year was a terrible release uh, that's another game mill game um, and there was something else but it's a lot of those seeing the license cashing in and just turning it over um, and in regards to the day before uh, that was mostly put together by volunteers who um, according to various writers were paid in uh, free codes and merchandise or something they weren't even <laughs> oh, giving money so it's like exciting. it only gets worse for them um, but it is interesting that idea of the bar of quality when you think about when I think about other mediums I can't think of any albums um, from big from um notable artists that release with glitches or bugs or you know recording issues i can't think of that yeah. many movies that release exactly. buggy like you know like the um, i haven't bought a book and be like don't worry we'll give you the rest of the pages when yeah. i open it up and there's only three pages in it yeah whereas in gaming um we've had that for years and obviously that kicked in so much more on the ps4 xbox one generation from 2013 onwards um but it's not something that we've escaped it's almost par for the course if someone's getting into gaming now you, there's a level of like it might not work on day one that you just have to weirdly accept and it's so 
stupid. I hate it. I hate that a lot of people are just like, well, just don't worry, if only just come out. It's like, we should come out <laughs> in a, as a finished product. I'm still paying the money on I don't want to be old, one. but like, come on, that's the way it used to work. That's we used that, to that's buy finished so, products. Yeah, that's what's so fascinating is like, is the next generation that's coming up, because we've they've had to put up with patches and microtransactions that is used to it. Mm. Um, and I keep, I need to drill down on where I heard this, but I was talking to some, I was reading something, I was either talking to someone who was a game dev or I read a game dev thing. Of course, the last couple of weeks, we talked about the idea of releasing games intentionally broken to look at the fan feedback, to treat that as an early access period Is it worth and it? fix it later. Because mm. um, then you know exactly what to fix. Mm. Um, and I feel like we've seen various versions of that across the last decade anyway. Like since Steam brought Greenlight in, you get... Like okay, is it chippable? Right, chip that version of it, and we'll we'll see what happens. Remember when we had demos? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the thing Never is like with again. demos, some studios do them really well. Capcom are really really good at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Square Enix, surprisingly, for as much, many mistakes as they make, are phenomenal with demos. Um, they put a ten hour version of the Octopath Traveler demo out, mm. um, and same with um, Triangle Strategy, where you can it, they give you the full game for like a couple mm. of hours, and then you upgrade to the full one if you want to keep going, which is the way to do it. Like I think everyone should have that. Um, but yeah. <laughs> human thoughts on the breadth of quality in 2023 yeah it's just kind <laughs> of it's one of those where even the flagship franchises are falling behind here like as much as you want to say that call of duty is a lazy franchise like i'm struggling to recall a massively buggy release from them yeah. or like mm. a, yeah. or whatever and just looking at the kind of the general state of that game's campaign the single player mm. and how rushed that was and how transparently money grubby it felt to mind for the know, multiplayer like, yeah it, it's just um it's weird i forgot i actually did have another point that I was Do gonna it. bring up very quickly uh 2023 the continuing year of you know going into nostalgia and stuff call of duty is terrible the amount of times <laughs> i have to put with that stupid eminem advert where it's that twitch streamer then going oh guys you need to see this and it's then like <laughs> basically hinging the reality like the, the nostalgia of this this entire game's success being like hey remember remember when you had fun times in modern warfare 2 in 2009 <laughs> well it's back in pog form i'm just like shut up go away make something new it just comes across as really cowardly yeah and i'm really yeah. not a yeah. big fan of it and i want i want like I'm, I'm cool with degrees of video game nostalgia like we wouldn't be playing old games if we weren't nostalgic for mm. them but i'm also kind of sick of just like well we have nothing new to contribute to this franchise so let's just hinge its entire it existence on on classic mm -hmm. vibes like i i hate it's that. very like that uh the meme of like when the, when the brand gets involved and brand go mm. like brand steps in and just says this thing was cool right guys and we go we're, yeah. we're okay now yeah. to be honest we've had our moment when it was just us um but there's ways to do it um but yeah i feel like overall obviously 2023 the highs were super high there are many many games um that are i'm just glad they exist like Baldur's gate 3 sure. but it doesn't overlook the reality of the bodies that put them together um and the fact that a lot of people especially at christmas time um sadly don't have those jobs anymore um so it is worth just mentioning like the the amount of layoffs and the how wide that spectrum's got in regards of um, production quality or release quality um the likes of kong skull island and the avatar game um i don't think are ever going to get there the day before has already been delisted the company shut down and change their name so they're just that's what i mean about nylon illegal yeah literally i i, I want more um you know like deep dives into what the hell happened with that mm -hmm. whole thing um because they're saying it was a five-year uh, development cycle but then a lot of the assets have been dated to the last couple of years so it seems like they just threw something together once the game uh. took off a bit more um so there is that but yeah 2023 has been a hell of a time and so is the what culture gaming podcast i've been your host scott tailford joined by cy white Thank you. And joined by you in person. Goodbye. And we'll catch you later in the year, if not next year. Have a lovely holiday and we'll catch you soon. Goodbye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.